start in Joshua chapter 2. Book of Joshua chapter 2. It's the sixth book of the Bible, so it's the very beginning of your Bibles. First thing we're going to look at is, I'm going to read it, is we're going to look at what happens with the two Hebrew spies and Rahab. For anybody who doesn't know, Rahab was a harlot, it was a prostitute who worked in the city of Jericho at the time that at which the Hebrews had come across the Jordan and were getting ready to start taking the conquest of the Holy Land. Rahab, there are many things that not only is she, does it say that she's a prostitute, but you can actually understand, like, I guess you could say, like, the way that she did it was is very apparent because she lived on the city wall, which basically means she was very busy at what she did. Many, at the time, it was not unheard of for women to do prostitution, but it was oftentimes done more secret to where that they would be married, and when the husband goes away, the woman goes out and sort of like walks around the marketplace and looks for maybe a guy who looks like he's lonely and then says, come on back. That's why in Proverbs it talks about when the husband leaves, she takes and spices her bed and then goes out and looks for a ignorant young boy, basically, to, and says, you know, come my way. But in this case, she was a very, this was open because she literally lived in the wall, a city wall, to where that as people who weren't even members of the city were passing by, just caravans, she could say, hey, you know, this much. And they do what they do, and then she leaves. So she was essentially, if you were to rank it, kind of one of the worst, or one of the lesser <laughs> forms of a prostitute in that culture, where prostitution was very common. So she was very much a, you know, the lowest of the low in society. And so we're going to see, and we're going to read chapter 2 in its entirety, or at least a portion of it, hold on. Yeah, in its entirety. And then we're going to just discuss a few things that has to do with our, our sermon today. So it starts, starting in the first verse of the second chapter of Joshua, it says, And Joshua the son of Nun set out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho, and they went and came into the harlot's house, named Rahab, <clears throat> and, lo and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither to night of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but wist they whence they were, but wist I not whence they were, meaning I had no idea where they came from. Five, and it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out, whither the men went, I wot not, meaning I know not. Pursue them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. So that's one thing she's telling us. I have no idea where they were, but they left about the time the gate shut. Six, but she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way of the Jordan, the Jordan unto the fords. 
And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. And she said unto them, unto the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when, it, when ye came out of the land of Egypt. And what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Shihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house, and give me a true token, and that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sister, and all they, they all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, Our life for yours, if ye utter not this our business. And it shall be, when the Lord has given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she set them down by a cord through the window, for her, her house was upon the t town wall, and dwelt and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there three days until the pursuers be returned, and afterward you may go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath, which thou hast made to us, swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thine house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in this house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath, which thou hast made us to swear. And she said, According unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line in the window. <clears throat> and they went and came unto the mountain, and abode there three days, until the pursuers were returned. And the pursuers sought them throughout all the way, but found them not. So the two men returned, and descended from the mountain, and passed over, and came to Joshua the son of Nun, and told him all the things that befell them. And they said unto Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered into our hands all the lands... Eat for even the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day and thank you for this time. Thank you for this blessing that we get to read your scripture that we're going to get to tackle a difficult question today and that we'll be able to see your grace through it and we'll be able to understand you and your heart and how you deal with us a little bit clearer through these things. I ask that you be with my words and that they will be accurate and they'll be true and they'll land faithfully in the hearts of those who need to hear them. Rest for all these things in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, who sees a problem with what happened here? What did she do when the king's men came to her? 
She lied. Is lying a sin? Yep. But look what happened. The men said, because of the way you've dealt with us, you'll be spared. So, if God is good, and God does not in any way decree evil, he allows bad things to happen, he allows us to have the freedom to do evil, how is it possible that somebody lied and it was counted to them as being a faithful thing? It's a very difficult issue here. The question is, does God command people to lie? Now, question, automatically you go, no. This was brought up to me while having a debate with a guy who was training to be a college professor in uh, at a, a name I'll remain nameless college down south in Canton in the Canton area, and the first time this question was posed to me, it was this chapter that they were referring to. The problem is one of the students was even smarter than that professor. And said, and as soon as I started to explain it, said, no, 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 explain 2 Chronicles 18. Now, 2 Chronicles 18 is something I struggled with as a child. Because I was one of these kids that when I was like five, six years old, they gave me a Bible for the first time. And I actually read the thing. And I started in the Old Testament. And... I would have to stop because I'm seeing all this stuff that's going on. I'm going, wow, this is like terrible. <laughs> this is like the worst Bible. This Bible's the worst book I've ever read. And I couldn't conceive or imagine what was going on. One of the biggest problems was our church didn't discuss things like this very often. So it's difficult. So all you basically learned, you had to learn just by figuring it out because they didn't really talk to you that much about these difficult issues. So what we're going to do is, before I explain this any further, I'm going to take you to 2 Chronicles 18, and we're going to discuss something that bothered me for years. Years and years. I'm, and I'm talking, I only figured it out within the last six years. So it bothered me for upwards of 25 years. <laughs> so, 2 Chronicles 18. It's just before the Psalms and all that, before the poetry books. The Chronicles are a second telling of the history of Israel. You have Samuel and Psalms that talk about the times that the kings lived in Israel, or, in, or Samuel and the, and the kings. But then you have the Chronicles. The Chronicles were written very late. They're written about. They were written while the people were in captivity in Babylon. And it was kind of, they call him the chronicler, because he was basically just looking back and trying to get as accurate as a history as possible and put, get it put down in written form so that the people in the Hebrews while in Babylon didn't lose their culture and didn't lose their history. That was the purpose for it. So Chronicles is very devoid of theology. I mean, whereas kings will say, this and that, it's real idealized. King says, you know, oh, this happened and God did this because for David because David was mighty in the sight of God. And 
And Kings is talking about how, oh, and David slew this many people at this battle. Chronicles is more just concerned about what happened. This is what happened. No, he's not going to say whether it was good, whether it was bad, whether it was evil. He's just going to say, this is what happened. It's, it is what it is. The problem is, in 2 Chronicles 18, there's a situation where it's called a throne room situation, where God sits around with the angels, and he talks to them. And he lets them, it's the same type of scene that we see in Job, when it says God called a meeting with the angels, and Satan also came along. He basically, God calls these meetings where he says, everybody appear before me, and they all come before him. And then he basically lets the angels sort of do things. They, they'll say, I want this done, who's going to do it? And they'll offer, hey, I want to do it. So he gets things done, that's how he does it. Why God does it that way, I don't know. That's the way he does it. It's all throughout the Bible. He will call these meetings with the angels and say, what are you going to do? And they'll say, oh, I want to do this. Another one will say, I want to do that. And he picks. And he goes, okay, you do your thing. Um, they have Again, they have it all throughout. Psalms 82, Psalms 84, uh, Chronicles here. You have it in Job. It's all through. It's scattered throughout. As a matter of fact, when Isaiah goes to heaven, has his heavenly vision of the throne room, it's pretty much the same thing. All the people are gathered around. God's giving instruction. So it's a pretty similar concept. So in the 18th chapter, we're going to read about Jehoshaphat, who had just become the king of Judah, and Ahab, who was the evil king of Israel. And they, the kingdom had split, and these two are trying to get back together so they can fight the Syrians. So we're going to start in the first chapter, of the 18th, first verse in the 18th chapter. Now Jehoshaphat had riches and honor and abundance and joined affinity with Ahab, and after certain years, he came down to Ahab, to Samaria, and Ahab killed sheep and oxen for him in abundance and for the people that he had with him, and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth Gilead. And Ahab, king of Israel, said unto Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Wilt thou go with me to Ramoth Gilead? And he answered him, I am as thou art, and my people as thy people, and we will be with thee in the war. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Therefore the king of Israel gathered together of prophets four hundred men, and said unto them, Shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. Now, I do want to just point out, if you were reading this as a story, in the previous chapters, Ahab and Jezebel killed off all the true prophets of God. And Elijah and them had to actually hide people in the caves so that they wouldn't be slaughtered. Because Ahab was wanting people to do, he's wanting these prophets to say things, and they're saying that's not what God wants. So he was killing them. Jezebel was having them killed. They were very, so these prophets are fake prophets. These are prophets of Baal. These are not prophets of God. And he's going to them and telling, because Jehoshaphat still believed in God, Yahweh, God. But Ahab did not. He didn't, didn't care. He believed in whatever God. So he's telling them, go and tell them to inquire upon Yahweh. Well, these are prophets of Baal that he's talking to. There's about 400 of them. But so, we're going to start again in 5. It says, Therefore the king of Israel gathered together of the prophets 400 men, and said unto them, Shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? 
And they said, Go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. Notice it says God, not the Lord in all caps. That just means their God, not the Lord of Israel. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that he might inquire of him? I Meaning Jehoshaphat goes, These guys aren't prophets. He knows. He goes, These are prophets of Baal. Why won't you ask the, the living God's prophet? And they had, had them all killed. So, except for just a couple. Seven. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. For he never prophesied good unto me, but always evil. The same as Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. And the king of Israel called for one of his officers to fetch quickly Micaiah, the son of Imlah. Micaiah was actually in prison at this time. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, sat either of them on his throne, clothed in their robes, and they sat in the void place at the entering of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. And Zedekiah, the son of, now this is crazy, but his name is Hakananon, Hakananon, had made him horns of iron and said, Thus saith the Lord. I mean, this time he's saying, this, uh, Zedekiah is saying, Yahweh told me this. With these shalt, uh, shalt push, thou shalt push Syria until they are consumed. And all the prophets prophesied saying, so saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. And the messenger that was, went to Micaiah spake to him, saying, Behold, the words of the prophet declare good to the king with one assent. Let thy word, therefore, I pray thee, be like one of theirs, and speak thou good. And Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, even what my God saith, that will I speak. And when he was come to the king, the king said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And he said, Go ye up and prosper, and they shall be delivered into your hand. And the king said unto him, How many times shall I adjure thee, that thou shalt say nothing but the truth to me in the name of the Lord. Then he said, I see all Israel scattered upon the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let them return, return therefore every man to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell, you, tell thee that he would not prophesy good unto me but evil? Again he said, Therefore the word of the Lord, this is Micaiah speaking, Therefore the word of the Lord I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who shall entice Ahad, king of Israel, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? Then spake, saying after this manner, and another saying after that manner, then there came out a spirit, and stood before the Lord, and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go out, and be a lying spirit, in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, Thou shalt entice him, and thou shalt also prevail. Go out, and do even so. And therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophet of their prophets, 
and the Lord hath spoken evil against thee. Then Zedekiah, the son of Hananon, came near and smote Micaiah upon the cheek, and said, Which way went the Spirit of the Lord from me to speak unto thee? And Micaiah said, Behold, thou shalt see on that day when thou shalt go into the inner chamber to hide thyself. He's saying from Jezebel, once the king is dead. Then the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and carry him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son. And say, thus saith the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of affliction and with water of affliction until I return in peace. And Micaiah said, If thou certainly return in peace, then hath not the Lord spoken to me. And he said, Hearken, all ye people. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth. Now I'm not going to go through the rest, but he went there and he died. And then they were defeated. Now, also I want to put out there that this thing with the feed him water and bread of affliction, that actually means that feed him just enough to where he's alive. Meaning they, what they would do is they would soak the bread in water and only give him enough to where the pangs would go away but he would literally starve to death over a period of time. So he's telling him, starve him to death and torture him, basically. Because he doesn't like what he said. But you see what happened there. Micaiah says, God was in the throne room, and he was saying, I want somebody to entice Ahab to die, because he's evil. And one spirit said, do this, the other spirit said, do that. Another one came out and said, I lied to him. And God sent him out. So what does this tell us? This was a big problem for me for a long, long time. The problem is that we are looking at it wrong. First of all, notice the, the Spirit came out and said, I will be a lying spirit. Because God said who will entice him, meaning give him what he wants. See, when a prostitute entices a man to do whatever... She's given him the illusion that he's going to get what he wants. So God said, who will entice Ahab? The, the spirit comes out and says, I will lie. And God says, entice. God didn't say lie. God said, you will entice him. And he will go up and fall. So, he, God is not telling the angel to lie. But it is the same difference. And that the spirit, what the spirits do is they go to him and they tell him, okay, this is what you want to do. Do it. Just do it. They didn't say anything in particular. They didn't say, they didn't say, oh, go up and you'll, no, what God, what the angel did was went up and just told them, do what you want to do. Do you already want to do it anyways. Why are you asking? Do what you want to do. So what are these fake prophets going to do? What are the fake prophets doing? The, spirit, the fake prophets say what they, he already wants to hear. Why? Because they're not hearing anything from God. They're just telling him what he wants. And we know the reason why is because it's mirrored in what Micaiah says. Notice what Micaiah says when he first comes up. We're going to go back and we're going to... Go to 14th verse. It says, 
And when he came to the king, the king said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And he said, Go ye up and prosper, and you shall be delivered under your hand, and it shall be delivered under your hand. He just mirrored what the other prophets said. He didn't said, whatever you want to do, whatever. If you're gonna do it anyways, do it. Well, what did why did guess what? What was Ahab's response? He said, You're not telling me what God said. Tell me what God said. The reason why is because he never said, Thus says the Lord, blah 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 blah. Micaiah just said, Do whatever you want to do, I don't care. You already got me in prison. They're already going to starve me to death. Do what you're going to do. I don't care. Whatever. So he's not lying to him as we think lie. He's just telling him, listen, if you do any of us, you want to do something. You want to do it bad enough. You keep, hey, should I do this? And they say, no, you probably shouldn't. Then you go, you know what? You don't know what you're talking about. Hey, should I do this? And they go, "Uh, no, you probably shouldn't. You know what? Should I do this? And they go, yeah, you probably should. Thank you. You're just asking for permission to do what you already wanted to do anyways. And you're just going to keep seeking people until you get permission. The only difference is Jehoshaphat said, inquire of God's prophets. Well, guess what? Ahab had killed all of God's prophets, except for just a couple. So who's he going to inquire of? Well, he inquires of the fake prophets, who are prophets of Baal. And they say, oh, yeah, do whatever you want. It's great. And he's like, oh, man. And then he's like, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I got to hear it. Joseph was like, wait, wait, wait. These aren't prophets of God. These are prophets of Baal. Why don't you ask a real prophet? And then he asked the prophet, like I said, he, the prophet gives it to him, says, whatever you want to do. You're gonna, whatever I say, you're going to do anyways. And he says, no, tell me what God you really saw. And he tells him. He said, God sat here and said, I will send a spirit to entice you to do what you already want to do. See, God doesn't have to trick us into doing anything. We want to do it already. What God does is he holds us back. He restrains evil. The only evil that happens is what God doesn't restrain. If there was no God and no Holy Spirit, this world would be unlivable. But God is actively restraining the evil of men. And therefore, when they say, I want to do this, I want to do that, if you keep doing it, you will sear your conscience. There's a crazy thing about a person's conscience. A person's conscience, they've studied this and studied this. A person's conscience will take two competing ideas, and it will actually want to go for whatever is the weaker desire. So you say, man, I really want to go out drinking with the, with the guys. And then the other one says, oh, I really got to get that exam done. Because it's coming up and it's going to take a lot of work. What if what do you really want to do? Go drinking with the guys. But you got that college exam going on. So <sighs> your conscience is actually built to want to go to the weaker desire. Why? Because God made it that way. Because he knows we want to do the wrong thing. So we actually tend to go. Now, some people, if you keep making the wrong decision, it becomes easier and easier to make that bad decision that bad decision, make that bad decision. Eventually, it's almost not even a thing. It's an afterthought. You've done it, and you're halfway through, and you're going, oh, man, I should have been back there doing the... But our conscience will bear witness that the, the weaker desire is usually the one that's the right thing to do. However, God will let us destroy ourselves. If we want to, if we're just seeking people... 
I knew a wife. She wanted to divorce her husband because he was a salesman. He was on the road all the time. She was like, he's not at home enough. She went to 12 different ministers and 11 told her no. That wasn't, the, that wasn't a reason. The 12th minister was some crazy nut job who runs a cult in Kenmore, Ohio, who is a ordained minister and practices Wicca and all this stuff. And he said, basically, he still didn't even tell her, yeah, it was a good idea. He said, do what you want to do. <laughs> and she said, I'm doing it. And even put on Facebook, spoke to a minister and he said, this is okay. Everybody assumed it was my cousin who was the church she was going to. So they're calling him up going, we're going to kick you out of the denomination. And he's like, I didn't tell her that. I told her no. So the thing is, she already wanted, she's just getting what she wants. That's what people's church shop. They go from church to church to church looking for one that's going to tell them what they want to hear. Not convict them. Not tell them what God says. Tell them what they want to hear. Their itching ears want to hear. So what do we see? God does not lie to you, but he allows you to do what you already want to do. And so what did Micaiah do? Micaiah just said, do whatever you want. And then when he said, no, no, speak to God's truth. Speak God's truth. He told him the truth. And what happened? Ahab went up and died anyways. He told him exactly what he told him. God is sending a delusion to these prophets that they're not allowed to, to they're, they're going to tell you to do whatever you want. But you're going to die if you go up there. And Ahab said, put him in prison and, and torture him to death. I'm going up there to fight. So it, he did what he wanted anyways. So, Micaiah was in a position where everything he did was going to be mean his death. He could go up there and right away come out and say, yeah, you're going to die up there. And he would say, okay, send him to death. Or he could come up there and say, yeah, do whatever you want to do. And he was going to send him to his death. Either way, he's going to go to his death. There's no way to get out of this. So what did Micaiah do? He took the path of least resistance and did what was the righteous, the most righteous thing he could do, which was make an example. He said, do whatever you want to do, knowing that the king wouldn't accept that answer. And then said, okay, this is what God wants to make an example out of the situation. So, with that being the backdrop, God will allow you to sin if that's really what you want to do. Let's go back to Joshua chapter 2. We're going to start at the 12th chapter, at the 12th verse. Well, I guess we'll actually, we'll just do the second and then we'll jump. So the second verse says, And it was told to king of, Je of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the, women, and the woman took the two men and hid them and said thus, There came unto me, there came men unto me, but I knew not where they came from. That's what that means. And it came to pass about the time of the shutting of the gate, when it was dark, 
that the men went out. Whither the men went, I know not. Pursue after them quickly that you may overtake them. Now you say, well, she lied. Yes, because her life decisions up to this point put her in a position where there is literally no right decision. There's none. There's no right decision at all. And we've put ourselves in this. If anybody's really serious, I had an issue where I was doing music videos for different rap artists. And I know that they were using, while we were recording at the time, they were selling drugs in the neighborhoods where we were recording. They were using the fact that we were on one corner doing whatever to be swapping things back on the other corner. I knew about it and I let it go. This was like 15 years ago. Now, it got to a point where basically they were having me ride along with them to do their stuff. Right along with them when they were doing these things. And I knew everything that was going on. Well, one of the guys actually put a hit out on me because he thought that I was messing with his money for some reason. And so I avoided that one just by like, because I guess God, I just, as soon as he said, meet me at, at 11 o'clock this time and get your money. And instantly I put, boom, if I show up there, I knew the area, I knew everything is. I said, if I show up there, I'm not walking back out. I knew it. Now, me being me, I called up my brother at about five minutes to 11 and said, hey, uh, okay, I'm meeting with this guy. If I don't call you at 11.20, you can just go ahead and tell the police that I'm dead and I'm somewhere around Summit Lake, probably. Just letting you know. <laughs> and so I went. And I drove real slow, I took a different car, so that it wasn't my normal car, and drove down through. And sure enough, they were ready. If somebody had come up, there would have been a shooting in that area. And so I escaped by a whisker. Now, they called me up. As I drove, I turned the corner. And I'm getting ready to call my brother, say, okay, I'm not, I didn't go there. They call me up. What are you doing? You know, come out. I'm right here, man. I got your money. I lied to him. Car broke down. Sorry, I can't get there. It's uh, gonna be what it is. You know, you can just go ahead and keep it. You know, thanks for everything you've done for me. Thanks for the money you've given me. It's been great working with you, and all that. But you know, I don't know what, how long it's gonna take for me to get my car done, but fixed. But I can't help for a little while. I lied. I straight lied. Why? Because I put myself in a situation where I couldn't get out of it without a lie. I, could, I put myself there. God didn't put me there. God didn't make me do this thing. God didn't make Rahab be a harlot. God didn't say, here, live on the outside wall. That was all decisions Rahab did for herself. Now, she's put herself in a situation where there's no way out except to do the most righteous thing she can think of. What was the most righteous thing she did? Here's the thing. It wasn't selfish. Unlike me, who I lied to save my life, Rahab didn't do that. Let's jump to the 12th verse. Rahab said, oh, the 11th. She says, as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and earth beneath. Now, therefore, I pray you, swear unto me that by the Lord, 
since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house and give me a token. She wasn't asking to be saved. She was saying, I'm doing this for you because I know God is, is righteous. Save my family. Don't worry about me. Save my father. And even that, she goes on. And they says, and that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. She's saying, save, she lists everyone in the family. Save them all, please. She doesn't say me. Save me. Take me out of here. I'm doing this so that you will take me out of here. No. She said, remember the kindness I showed to you. She probably expects that because of her sins in her life, she's not going to be spared. But if you can do anything, save my family. Save my father. Save my mother. Save my, save their, my, my brothers and sisters. Save them. Leave me. This was a, the most righteous act she could do. It's still sinful. So the title of the sermon I saved at the end is, What Do You Do When There Is No Right Choice? There's no true right choice here. There really isn't. She put herself into a situation where there's no choice. You can put yourself into the situation where there's no option, but to make another mistake, essentially. And so... Every move you're going to do is sinful, whether you lie to get out of it, whether you continue, you give up the spies who you know are working for God. What do you do? Well, maybe if I do this one thing, this is a little more righteous. What Rahab did was choose to do the one thing that had the most righteous outcome at expense for herself. She didn't care. She Was she going to be caught by the king and killed by the king for lying? Was she going to... What was she going to do? What was going to happen? She doesn't know. She could give up the men and die when, they, when the walls came down. Or she could do this and help try to save her family. Not for her, for her family. She said, what can I do to save family? Rahab. We know her as Rahab the harlot. She is listed in Hebrews 11 as being one they call it the Hero Hall of Fame, one of the most righteous people in the Old Testament. Why? Because when it came down to it, throughout all the bad decisions, and she had no right choice, she chose to give up herself for her family. And thus God spared her also. Because it was not a selfish thing. It was just doing the only decision she had. She was left between, this is the only time you'll ever hear me say this. She was given the choice of two evils. Sin, to get out of a situation by, by, by lying, or sin in giving up people who are working for God. And she chose the lesser of two evils. I always tell people, in everything you do, try never to do the lesser of two evils, because what are you doing? Evil. If they say, well, vote, when you vote, vote for the lesser of two evils, you're voting for evil. It's right to you. So don't complain when things get worse. If you voted for the lesser of two evils, and things got worse. Well, you were a part of that. Vote for the best that you can get at. Because if you are doing it on lesser of two evils, then you are voting for evil. When you have two evils, and that's the only options you have, which occasionally there is, do the lesser of two evils. It happens for martyrdom as well. You can, you, there were people who could have just given up their faith 
and they would have spared their life and their, their, their child's life, or their life and their family's life. And they said, the lesser of two evils in this situation is to die a martyr and go to heaven. So they chose not to give up, not to, not to renounce. That's the lesser of two evils in that case, which is an extreme case. For this case, Rahab had an option that she felt she could do. Give up myself, and I could spare my family. She took the lesser of the two evils. And not only that, just to show how thankful God was, she did the right thing. Everybody go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. As you're turning there, just to let you know, in James 2, it says that she was justified before all men, meaning that in spite of all her sins, she was justified. Just means made righteous, appear righteous. So Matthew chapter 1. Verse 1. The book of the generations of Jesus Christ. This is the genealogy of Christ. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judas, Judah, and his brethren. Judah begot Paras and Zerah of Thamar. Paras begot Ezram. Ezram begot Aram. Aram begot Amadad. Amadad begot Nason. Nason begot Salmon. And Salmon begot Boaz of Rahab, the harlot. In the genealogy of Christ, Rahab is mentioned. Not only does she get included as in the Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11, she literally became a part of the genealogy of Christ, our Savior. Why? Because she did the best she could at the time. When there was, she put herself into a situation where there were no right choices. There was only choosing the lesser, choosing the one that would do the most good, and she chose it. So, as we close, I want us to remember there is a law that God has, which is called natural law, which means when you do something bad, bad things happen. It doesn't always happen right away, but generally speaking, it does. Now, the worst part of natural law is not that something bad happens right away. It's that you put yourself into a situation where you can sear your conscience, you can become numb to your conscience, and you can put off the right things. And you end up in a position where you've put yourself where there's no right choice. If ever you fall into that line, do look out, pray, and really don't follow your heart because the heart above all things is deceitful. Do the right thing as far as you can. And if somebody brings this up about that, just explain to them, listen, you need to read the chapter better because what is God doing? God lets us do whatever we want to do. You want to do evil? He lets you do it. Are you willing to sacrifice yourself for good? I'll let you do that. It's up to you to make the decision. Make the best decision that does the most for righteousness in everything you do, and hopefully you'll never be in this situation. Let's bow today for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the people who have come out. I hope that through all things we will know that you are good and that you want the best for us. May we all make good decisions. May each of us 
rely on our conscience to bear witness that you have put it inside of us what the right thing is. We just need to do it. May you look out for these people. May you watch everyone. May you bless them. May you keep them as we go out. May you continue to work on the hearts and soften the hearts of everybody here. But as we go through our life, that we will see the good choices and make those good choices easier and better. May you continue to guide us and love us and keep over this church. We ask all these things in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.